welcome. Thank you for joining the Wellness Trinity podcast. I'm Dr. Jacqueline, naturopathic doctor and owner of the Wellness Trinity, where we provide natural solutions for modern day wellness. Just a little disclaimer before we get started, what we discuss in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. What you do with the information is to be used at your discretion as the recommendations are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any diseases. So today I have a special guest on the show. I'm really excited to interview him. I've been, I've been waiting for a little bit to be able to have this opportunity. And um, I think you guys are all going to enjoy this because as most of you know that follow me, I use most of his products or a good chunk of them, I should say. And um, there's a reason why. When I studied my naturopathic doctorate at, um, at Trinity School of Natural Health, I had to read his book, Naturopathy for the 21st Century. And when he was talking about food-based supplements in that book, I just instantly knew there was something about that and, and something that needed to be shared with the world. So um, without further ado, welcome, Dr. Teal. Thanks for having me. So um, why don't you go ahead and share your story about how you got in this business and, and, and you know summarize, I'm sure you've been in this industry for a while, but maybe some highlights. Okay, I guess it all starts, goes back when I was a kid, and I used to read labels on the side of cereal boxes. And I saw that they had vitamins and things in them. But, and I, I found it interesting, I used to read them all the time. Well, about uh, 47 years ago, I almost died. The medical people didn't know what I have, and they didn't care. So I never wanted to be that kind of a doctor. I did not want to be a medical doctor. I kind of wanted to do something on the natural side, so I, I subscribed to uh, Prevention Magazine. Now, this is a long time ago. In the old days, Prevention Magazine was truly a revolutionary alternative health uh, document. Unfortunately, after the original founder passed on, it, they changed. But back in the 70s, uh, early 70s, it was uh, all into natural things. And the uh, owner, Rodale, he wrote about uh, natural sources for nutrients. So that got me really interested in that. Well, I wanted to get educated for it, but back in the early 70s, I couldn't really find any way to do it. So I was trying to speed through this. So actually, I joined the Air Force, and then I went into uh, the business world. Matter of fact, I think I was the youngest certified management accountant in the history of the United States. Anyway, at my last regular job, I was, before I switched into this, I was actually vice president of the company that invented sprinklers. Well, anyway, I came home from work one day and um, found out that uh, a close relative was supposed to die in five years, 90% shot. So I went to, to the local library, read a couple of books, said, aha, I, don't, I think if you don't take the medications and one of your organs isn't involved, I think you're going to live. Anyway, it turned out to be right. So I did more research and ran across an old-time naturopath who used to uh, do muscle testing. And I asked him if he would teach me. And he lived 110 miles away, so it wasn't really close. Uh, and he said, well, as soon as your name says doctor. So I asked him about his doctorate, and I realized that he didn't have, let's say, a mainstream degree. Mm -hmm. So I went and I got one of the degrees sort of similar to what he had. And then decided, you know, if I'm going to do this, full-time, support my family, I'll go back to school and get a regionally accredited PhD in nutrition science, which is what I have. 
And in terms of the naturopathic side, this is kind of interesting. I had actually gone to one of the uh, mainstream naturopathic medical schools, showed them my transcript, and they said, oh, you don't need to go here to, to do what you're doing. You're, you're fine. Well, at least that's what the dean told me. Since then, others have a different opinion. But I was always interested in, in naturopathy, and I was actually the science editor for the American Naturopathic Medical Association for uh, probably around 10 years. And uh, they uh, board certified me as a naturopathic physician, all that kind of stuff. Well, anyway, in the year 2000, a couple of different things went on. One is I ended up writing the first paper. Oh, excuse me, word another way. I'm, I, my paper on natural versus synthetic vitamins was published in a major medical journal in the year 2000. And that's the first time since World War II anybody got a paper like that published. Prior to World War II, people were kind of into natural stuff, but afterwards, not so much. Anyway, at the same time, I was asked to head up the committee to write the board certification exam for the uh, uh, naturopathic, American Naturopathic Medical Association. So I did, and one of the things that was necessary was to write a book, because at that time, now you can find this stuff on the internet, but back, back then, the books on naturopathy were basically all out of print. So the book you mentioned, which as a matter of fact, I can grab one, not for fun, but just, just because it just happens to be here. This is a, the second edition of the book. I think this is from 2011 edition. Okay, Naturopathy for the 21st Century. Uh, it was actually written so people could help pass the, uh, the board examination. The examination had four parts. It had herbology and homeopathy. It had... Uh, human biological sciences, uh, had nutrition, and it had naturopathy. And those other subjects, there were lots of books on the, that were out there. But in this particular subject, there weren't. So that's why this book got written and, uh, and published. So anyway, that kind of brings you up to speed. Now, as far as food versus non-food nutrients, a couple different things I want to mention. I was formulating some product for another company, which I won't mention. And we got into a difference of opinion on food versus non-food vitamins and minerals. At the same time, another company contacted me. They wanted me to be their scientific person for their products. And we also had a difference of opinion on food versus non-food nutrients. And so because of those things, I decided, look, I cannot rely on these others. So that's why Doctors Research started. And that's how we ended up with the products that we have. Now, I'm going to correct you on the air, by the way. Because okay. you made the same mistake I made and almost every other normal human being makes. Uh -huh. And you said about food-based nutrients. Now, this means there's a technical definition of food-based, and it's not what a normal person thinks. Okay? What you meant, and what I thought originally, is food-based means, oh, the nutrients come from food, therefore it's food-based. Nope. Food-based sadly means is that they use uh, some food and they spray synthetics on it. The food is a base. So you can go to the health food stores, some, some of them, and you're gonna find food-based vitamins. Matter of fact, there was a health food store down the street here, it's no longer in business, but I remember about 10 years ago, I asked them, I said, do you have any food vitamins? Okay, natural health place, you'd think they would. Oh yes, we do. It brought me and this guy with me, because I wanted to show this guy, to uh, a section and had a pretty bottle with all these foods on it and bright colors and all kind of cute. 
And I turned aside and I said, okay, look at this. That's not food. That's not food. That's not food. This is a synthetic vitamin. They put a little bit of food on it and they spray it on there and they call that food based. So that's why. So that my little correction is I would try not to use the word food based because there are a couple of companies out there, uh, three that come to immediate mind, which I'm not going to mention, that I know do that. And some of them are in uh, health food stores. And a lot of people think that they're getting food nutrients when they're not. And I've run into this over and over again over the decades. Wow. Well, I'm glad I know that. So what do you call them then? Uh, food nutrients. Uh, food nutrients. Uh, yeah. And if you, look at, if you look at our labels, it says 100% food nutrients. Okay. And okay. If you see food based on a label, pretty good chance it's just a base of food and they spray stuff on it. Okay. So when I'm talking to my clients about the supplements that we carry, I call them food nutrients, not food yes, based. Right. 100% <laughs> uh, food nutrients because okay. otherwise... That's not what, what, what you get. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that's good stuff to know. I always like to make sure I'm delivering the information correctly. Well, can I uh, go back to a little bit on the history of nutrition? Because you yeah, yeah, definitely. Find this interesting. All right. People have heard of vitamin A, vitamin B, vitamin C, things like that. But that isn't, it isn't like they just started out with vitamin A. Let me, let me tell you kind of the story. Once upon a time in the 1800s, this is a true story, they figured out how to process grains differently. They learned how to make rice white, they learned how to make wheat white, and they learned how to degerminate cornmeal. And in North America, the upper echelon thought that this white stuff was better, and so they started to eat it. But over in Asia specifically, they loved white rice. Why? couple different reasons. One, it doesn't spoil as quickly, so it lasts longer. Remember, nobody had refrigerators in the 1800s, almost nobody, okay? So it, it, it didn't spoil. Secondly, it cooked faster. Now, if you're a poor person living in Southeast Asia, you know, how many pieces of wood you needed to heat up your rice made a big difference to your life, okay? So they love this. So throughout Asia, white rice just took off and everybody was just so excited about it. Then people started to die. Mm. They started to die of disease, uh, which is a Sri Lankan term. It meant uh, a beriberi. That's why it was called beriberi. So nobody knew the cause. And so places like the United States sent over the best infectious disease doctors known on the planet. And there weren't very many and they didn't know much. They couldn't figure it out. Now, I can tell you the mainstream answer, but before that, I'm going to tell you what I think happened first. My understanding is that there was a Filipino farmer, and he realized that if he gave chickens the brown pride of rice or brown rice, they got over beriberi. But nobody listened to him because he was a Filipino farmer. Mm. Okay? He was right, but that wasn't important enough, didn't have the right degrees or whatever. So there was a Japanese scientist, and he started to do research with pigeons. And he concluded that there was some powerful anti-berry-berry drug in the brown part of rice. And that was the answer. And then later, a term developed, vital anti-berry-berry amino acid factors. Okay? What does that mean? Well, that all got switched to B vitamins. Okay, that's where we got the term vitamins and vitamin B, vital 
anti-berry berry amino acid factors, okay, wow. became B vitamins. So that's, that's how they got it. And so they figured this out. So you know what the solution was to tell everybody to eat brown rice? No. The pharmaceutical companies got involved and they could make some coal tar derivatives that they could spray on white rice. Nice. So if you pull out a bag of white rice in almost any country in the world, you will flip over and you'll see things like diamond uh, uh, mononitrate or hydrochloride. You'll see uh, things like uh, cyanocobalamin, uh, et cetera, on there because by law in most countries, if you degerminate grains, you have to spray synthetic vitamins on them. And those are basically, most of them are coal tar derivatives in one way or the other. And what I learned as a scientist is I took the mainstream stuff on nutrition, all right? I've got a book I can see over here uh, that I, I did a couple of decades ago, and it says, and I'm going to paraphrase it, there's no difference between a natural and synthetic vitamin. It doesn't matter if it came from a cantaloupe or from a, a scientist's laboratory. That's what it says. <laughs> and that book, by the way, and I can see the book right now, they still use that book. Uh, there's newer editions of it. And this is how they teach pretty much all the dietitians, all the nurses, uh, uh, dental hygienists, and all these people take that class with that book. Oh, my goodness. All right. So that's what they teach. In addition to that, there's a book called Modern Nutrition and Health and Disease. And it said back uh, in 1990 something, 98 or 9, whatever edition that was, it said it is a sign of a quack to say that natural vitamins are better than synthetic vitamins. Now, I wasn't really here to plug this book, but in this book, I actually went through, since you took the class, you, may have, you might remember that I listed tips to find uh, quacks and vitamin pushers or whatever it was. And I explained that most of their so-called tips, there was scientific evidence against their position. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that particular book, Modern Nutrition, Health and Disease, is one of these books, it's really heavy. Matter of fact, hold on. Uh, this is it. This is the current edition, uh, 1,600 pages. Each chapter is written by one to three world-renowned scientists. This is the new, newest edition. Well, anyway, back when I wrote my paper, what I did was say, okay, I'm going to use this book against itself. So I went and read the book, the chapter on vitamin A. And they say, vitamin A is not some single substance, but it's a variety of complexes. Oh, okay. Hmm. So it's not just the same chemical that maybe be in uh, a cantaloupe. Okay. That was one. B vitamins. <laughs> B vitamins. They even tell you that folic acid, by the way, which is not natural. People need folates, not folic acid. They even tell you the body can't use the amount of folic acid they tell you to eat. They tell you the recommended daily intake for folic acid, and it should be folate, but they say folic acid, is 400 uh, micrograms a day. Yet, according to moder an earlier edition of Modern Nutrition, Health, and Disease, you can only utilize 266 micrograms. Then why are they telling you to take more than you can't even use? Now, a statement I like to say to people is, whether you believe God created everything, you believe in evolution, or some combination thereof, God slash nature did not invent folic acid. Right. Some guy in the laboratory did. Right. <laughs> okay, it's not natural. Okay. 
And anyway, they spray this stuff on foods. As a matter of fact, speaking of spraying that on foods, as I digress a little bit further here, they did a study in uh, Scandinavia. What they did is they thought, okay, we need to put folic acid in our refined grain products. So they did. And they did this. And after a few years, they went and checked and said, guess what? Oops, we have more colon cancer. Uh, we think we have more prostate cancer. Maybe we have more breast cancer. So maybe this wasn't the greatest idea, but they still do it. Anyway, getting back to modern nutrition, health, and disease, in, on vitamin D, you might like this. The first time they've used isolated vitamin D to prevent rickets, it caused rickets. Mm. It made bones worse. to make them better. Okay? So they've come up with two or three or four different types of vitamin D that they've used. And when it came to vitamin E, this one was good. In the old edition of Modern Nutrition Health Disease, it said, vitamin E is an exception to the paradigm that there's no difference between natural synthetic vitamins. Basically, it said, you have to get vitamin E from food sources, or it's not the same. It doesn't matter it's the same chemicals. It still doesn't work the same. So anyway, I got that paper published back in the year 2000. And interestingly, this current edition of Modern Nutrition and Health and Disease does not have the chapter about quacks, vitamin pushers, and does not say you're a quack if you say vitamins are better if they're natural. Mm. So at least I made some uh, success with the scientific community oh, <laughs> to at God. least consider the fact that, by the way, people, look at your own documents. You're saying this on one hand. On the other hand, all these other people are saying this is wrong. Yeah. And I yeah, won't go into all know, the technicals. Go ahead. It's just, I think it's funny. Um, some of this stuff just seems so simple, yet it's, I don't know why it has to get so complex. Like, when I think about it, when you say we need to have food, like vitamins that are food, it makes sense. Like, I don't know why it has to be so complicated. Why do we need to change things up so much in a lab and, and um, you know, do this thing and that thing and make it so that you need 5,000% of this thing when really it's, we need to get back to the garden. That's what I... I always go back to it's like we were put on this earth, you know, you mentioned God and we're, we have, we're put in a garden. <laughs> Why are we making it so overcomplicated? Well, in terms of B vitamins, by the way, the reason they came up with it was, it was cheaper to come up with something else and they, they could make it in the labs. They, they had other B vitamins and then it worked, but they decided, nope, we're not going to do that. And so they went away from that particular approach. So when people go and they ask me about vitamins, which just happens in the clinic all the time, uh, is X brand vitamins or, or X processed vitamins, are these better than, these are better than everybody else, right? And basically what I say is that there used to be about six or eight companies in the United States that made vitamins and 1,300 vitamin companies buy the same vitamins, okay? So the difference is the packaging, if they put colors in it, if they throws, mix some foods in it. I said, but there's only a couple of companies that make uh, beta carotene and there's only a couple of companies that make vitamin E and only, you know, et cetera. Now with China getting the market, maybe there's a lot more, but there used to be very few. And I said, look, all these 1,200 or 1,400 vitamin companies are all buying the vitamins in the same place. X brand is not making their own vitamins. Okay. There's very few companies that actually grow vitamins, uh, grow foods behind vitamins and use them in supplements. Most of, again, the vast majority out there are not. Now, you, you mentioned scripture. Scripture talks about the, the wisdom of God is wiser. Or the foolishness of God is uh, wiser than the, than the wisdom of men. And you've got human beings who think they're just smarter than God. <laughs> right. they, they think that they know better. And they don't. 
and look, I have a <laughs> regionally accredited PhD in nutrition science. Let me tell you a few things. First of all, these so-called experts don't know a lot of what they're talking about, number one. Two, there, we, there, there's an expression, the more you know, the more you know you don't know. Mm -hmm. I can assure you when it comes to nutrition, they don't know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and um, gosh, there's so many things. I feel like we just opened a can of worms. I'm like, what do I ask you next? <laughs> yeah, that's why I decided not to bring up two couple other subjects because I'm going to never get done. So. Right, yeah. So I do want to touch on a few things because uh, this is going to get to be a really interesting conversation. So you listeners, please listen to the end because I have some things I really want to pick his brain at <laughs> related to what's going on in, in the world. So, but to segue into that, um, you know, I want to touch on glandulars. Uh, there's a whole vegan movement and I was a part of it for a second and I, I don't, you know, want to disrespect anyone that wants to be a vegan. Um, but I did turn around and I don't, I'm not a, quite that, a vegan anymore. Um, and I totally believe in your glandulars now that I've used them myself and I've used them with lots of my clients, by the way, most of my clients, they love that restful mind support because people cannot sleep nowadays and that works. So, um, why don't you just explain a little bit about what glandulars are and uh, where you get them from? Like, how do you know it's a good source and anything other that you think is going to be some good information about those? Okay. Well, interesting. You brought up glandulars. I didn't know you were going to do that. When they first came up with some B vitamins, they actually used glandulars. They actually used liver. They thought that was too expensive. And so they, they quit doing it. So glandulars were actually one of the first things that were used to treat uh, anemia with vitamins, if you will, uh, back in the 20s or 30s. Now, as far as glandulars go, glandulars are organs of animals. Uh, uh, in our products, uh, they're either cows from New Zealand or they're uh, uh, goats from the U.S., as far as New Zealand goes, let me just put a plug in there. The first time I went to New Zealand was just over 31 years ago. I've been there four times. Uh, the last time was a year ago, October, and I'm probably going to go again next year. They do not raise their animals, their cows, like are raised in the U.S. Okay. I'm in California. On the one hand, you see cows on the hillsides here, and that's fantastic. Okay, That's great because they actually mow our grass, reduce our uh, wildfire risk, okay, and they fertilize at the same time. And it has to be cows, by the way, because sheep or goats will get killed by coyotes okay, in California, all right? That's all fine. But then what happens is they take them, and they take them to a feedlot, and they get them fatter than they would be by getting them to eat things they normally wouldn't be eating. And because they're so close together, they uh, fill them full of uh, antiparasitics, dewormers, so they'll pass uh, a USDA inspection. Well, that's how they do it here. In New Zealand, it's not like that. The whole country is basically pasture, much of the country, except for like the Auckland area, basically pasture. And I say I've been to New Zealand four times, and I've even went to areas where the cows were corralled, and there was still green under them. Around here, you see the feedlots, there's not one blade of grass. Okay, in the feedlots, so the cows have knocked them all down or done it. But New Zealand, they're, they're not uh, uh, so compact. There's not so many of them so close together, and so they're just raised naturally. And they don't. Uh, almost no cows in New Zealand actually ever go to a feedlot, and those ones end up in uh, restaurants. As far as uh, being vegan, etc. Compared to my parents, I'm a vegetarian. By the way, I, I do eat meat, but I'm a very light meat eater. But as far as uh, the glands, 
a couple of questions I've been asked about them is, are they raised for this? No, this is a byproduct. These cows are basically, the cows in New Zealand are basically raised to export the meat to China and uh, other, other markets. And this is a byproduct. Uh, the byproduct, if they didn't go into glandulars, ends up going into pet foods. Okay, mm -hmm. so they're not raised for this, uh, and they are they're they're there and they're available. I like New Zealand because they've never had a case of mad cow disease. Now I was assured, actually, not I. All of us in the United States were assured by the great experts in Washington D.C. All the people, as as Will Rogers once said, we have the best government uh, money can buy. They all kept saying that we could never get mad cow disease in the United States. And they supposedly put up firewalls. I didn't believe these firewalls because the firewalls went against nature. Okay, it goes against nature to give cows or sheep animals to eat. Okay, if you have a cow and you stick it in a room with nothing else but some meat, it will never consider to eat it and it will die. But if you put sugar on that and some grain and mix it in with meat, they'll eat it. And that's what happened. That's why we ended up getting mad cows in the United States. Now, this caused the United States a minor problem because the United States is not a massive exporter of meat. New Zealand is. Mm. It isn't that the people of New Zealand are necessarily better than the Americans. It isn't that the government of New Zealand is necessarily better than the government in the United States. But the reality is if New Zealand had mad cow disease, they would be, enter a depression. Okay? Because their economy is too dependent on it. And so their politicians would be very loath to allow anything like that because that would destroy their economy, number one. Secondly, a cow can't walk across the border in New Zealand. It's out in the middle of nowhere. And out in the Pacific, South Pacific, South Pacific, it's an island. Okay? So they have, they have stricter standards. If they're not spraying their, their pastures with junk. It's just, the, and the air is cleaner. Yeah. Okay, now as far as using glandulars, mm -mm. As far as using glandulars, I remember reading some stuff about nutrition a long time back and basically said, you know, if you eat liver, you get liver nutrients, you eat heart, you get heart nutrients, etc. Now, one of the books I was alluding to that I didn't grab because it's out of my uh, arm reach here, made fun of people who use glandulars. It says, people think eating liver can help your liver. That's nonsense because the stomach breaks the uh, proteins down to their constituent amino acids. So it doesn't make any difference if you eat a, a, a piece of uh, fish or a, a cow liver. It's all the same as far as your body is concerned. Wrong. Now, these are the same people, by the way, who used to say the calorie is a calorie. Didn't matter if it was from protein, fat, or carbs. And we all know that's not right when it comes to weight management. Well, the same people are saying this stuff. So I actually had to explain this to the U.S. National Institutes of Health, which I did a couple of decades ago and explain to them, here's what happens. It's true that if you eat a piece of liver or a, glandular, or a supplement that's got some liver in it, a freeze-dried liver, when it goes in your stomach, your stomach does break down most of the proteins to their constituent amino acids. Okay, but according to research, 5 to 15% of those proteins are not digested in the stomach and therefore are available for intact absorption. So that's the problem number one, because the stomach does not break down 100% of it down to its constituent amino acids. So they're wrong about the implication of that, number one. Number two, these glandulars contain enzymes. Yeah. Now, these enzymes 
make things happen in the body. You've actually got around 70, 80,000 enzymes in your body. You've got all kinds of liver enzymes. Well, the liver makes them too. But you also have thyroid enzymes and eye enzymes and uh, smelling enzymes. You've got enzymes all parts of your body. And what people don't realize is that in the human body, it takes an enzyme for something to, to go to work. So assume you have a couple of substances together and they're supposed to do something. Either create something, build something up, or digest it or break it down. Okay? Well, they're lazy in a sense. They need an enzyme there. And then if the enzyme's there, then they get to work. Without the enzyme, it doesn't happen, or it doesn't happen very well. Well, again, there's like 70,000 enzymes. And if you take a glandular, turns out in, in cows, for example, almost all those enzymes are identical to the enzymes in human beings. Okay? So if you eat cow liver, uh, raw cow liver, uh, this happens. Now, in terms of enzymes, According to Dr. Howell, if you swallow foods, if you chew foods that are raw and swallow them and have enzymes, about 50% of the enzymes are not digested away. So they're available for intact absorption. So those enzymes are still there. So they don't get digested away, at least not, only maybe about half, but then the other half is still there. So that's another plus that, that uh, they, don't, they, they don't think about because that happens, it makes everything work better. And also, when your eye sees a thyroid enzyme, it ignores it, and vice versa. Mm. So you can swallow these things, and they've got enzymes, and they help rebuild. Now, what, what about a vegan approach? Now, we have a, a, a lot of vegan products. As, as you know, we have vegan equivalents pretty much of every product in our product, almost every product in our product line. But sometimes the vegan approaches take a lot longer. Now, some people are strict vegans and they want to be strict vegans and I respect that. That's what I want to be. I, I don't ask them to violate their conscience, but typically it will take a lot longer because the plants do not have as many identical enzymes as the glandulars contain. Okay. It's, it's, just, it's just that simple. It's faster. It's more efficient. And human beings, by the way, have been consuming glandulars for about 6,000 years. Okay, this is not something new. Now, after World War II, Americans started to eat less of them, but up until then, Americans always ate them. As a matter of fact, up into the, early, into the 60s, if I go to the grocery store with my parents, just a regular grocery store, typical, typical supermarket, you could, you could buy all the organ meat back then. Now, not so much. You've got to go to specialty markets and you can't find it as much. But one of the reasons I like glandulars as opposed to going out to the supermarket and eat raw meat is they come from New Zealand and they're tested to be sure they don't have certain bacterial levels and all kinds of things that can cause problems. So I'm totally confident uh, with them. And for what it's worth, uh, I, I consume glandulars every day. Uh, so does my wife and so do my kids. Uh, my, uh, you know, so my relatives do, my employees do. Uh, and we consider them safe. And again, they've never had a case of mad cow disease in New Zealand. And so my view, it's another reason uh, that these are better, they're cleaner. Mm -hmm. Again, I take them myself. Yeah. So you would prefer using, I would say, if someone's not a vegan, your first choice, if you could choose for a supplement, if there's two options, you would choose the one with the glandular in it? Unless I'm talking about just giving them multiple vitamins, okay? Because that would be different. But if you're talking, for example, to support a thyroid, adrenal gland, someone's eyes, uh, uh, liver, kidneys, uh, generally speaking, yes. Now, there are some times, by the way, when vegan approaches are actually better. Mm 
Uh, for example, uh, I won't go into the use of it because the government won't like me to do that on air, but we have a product called Vibrocron. Okay. Oh, I love that. <laughs> All right. Okay. It's totally vegan. Uh, it helps people with diseases it's not supposed to help according to, well, excuse me, I shouldn't put it that way. I can't tell you which diseases it helps on the air because the government would consider that labeling, so I won't do that. But I will say that it's better for certain, many, many conditions than certain glandulars that we have that are for the immune system. On the other hand, we have glandulars for the immune system that if they're the right one, they're the right one too. So it's not that glandulars are always better, yeah. but for some things, for example, rebuild uh, tired adrenal glands. Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, an adrenal gland product, glandular product is better. But, and this will sound strange, in my case, I actually take our vegan adrenal uh, just because it checks better for me. But, I, but most people in our clinic that we see take uh, a simply adrenal or a high-stress adrenal, for example, which are both uh, glandular, uh, glandulars. And the high-stress also has herbs and food nutrients and some other things in there. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I like, I tested um, anything that does with the adrenals for you. <laughs> I've done the Simply one, the high stress, and uh, Anxiotone. Uh, what was the other one I used? I've been, right now, I'm, I'm using tyrosine. I've been yes, using Vegetarian that. tyrosine, yeah. In terms of tyrosine, I'm, I'm going to make a little bit of product plug on that. As far as I know, we have the only vegan tyrosine in, that's available, uh, maybe somebody else does, but I haven't heard of it, it's not GMO'd, mm. okay? Because it's either uh, they either get it from animal sources, or they they get it from uh, uh, corn or soy, which in the United States is almost always GMO'd. So we actually have to get it from outside the United States, uh, from Europe. Uh, so yeah, when people take vegetarian tyrosine, and because you can look at it and you say, wait a second, this is a little bit pricey product. I can buy tyrosine from XYZ mm -hmm. company for almost nothing. That's true if you. Depends on your standards, but uh, yeah, you can do something different. But, but, but the tyrosine, yeah, that that one is a little bit different, and it's and the, the cost is because we actually have to import it because in the United States we cannot get what we generally think we can't get what we want in terms of the, the standards that we have for the products. Yeah, and so for those of you guys listening, tyrosine is amazing at building dopamine, and which most people are depleted of their energy, so. I find that that's a great one to support their energy. I, I, I would say you would find that one too. Yeah, it's, it's also great for focus. At the, um, let me get technical for a moment. Thyroid makes five hormone, hormones, T1, T2, T3, T4, and something called calcitonin. Well, T1 is called mono, meaning one. Iodo means iodine. Tyrosine. And T2 is diiodotyrosine. And T3 is a combination of those two. And T4 is two T2s. So tyrosine is the basic building block for, for thyroid hormones, and the thyroid responsible for metabolism in the body, amongst other things. The adrenal glands also use tyrosine. And the US Air Force actually was uh, testing tyrosine to help with endurance, focus, and energy for, uh, for pilots in the past. So yeah, it's uh, tyrosine. I just put somebody on tyrosine, uh, new, somebody new on it uh, yesterday, I think. Yeah, nice. Yeah, the other one that I like to use is the tryptophan too. Yeah, tryptophan is interesting. Now, some people might be scared about tryptophan because it was off the market for a few years. And it was off because FDA scared everybody to death. But the FDA finally said, we didn't take it off the market. And people were like, what do you mean? And what happened was there was a batch of it from uh, Japan, I think, 
from some particular supplier that was not good. It was spoiled or something. And they, everybody freaked out. So you wouldn't get any tryptophan anymore unless you ate turkey because there's a lot of tryptophan in turkey. And so um, it was off the market. And, but when we found out we could get it, we went to a, a vegan source of it. And so, yeah, vegetarian uh, uh, tryptophan is helpful, uh, can help people uh, with mood issues, uh, help, helps some people with weight issues, helps some people with sleep. And so it's uh, something else that we do use here as well. Yeah, so on the glandular note, um, you know, I know you can work a lot with the hormones. Can you kind of explain the connection with hormone balancing in the glandulars? Yes. Now, I mentioned uh, thyroid support. And so this would be a really good example of this. Okay. One of the things that the mainstream has said is there's no difference between natural and synthetic because you're just giving them chemicals and that's the, same, the deal. Well, let's talk about hormones, specifically the thyroid. And we can talk about other ones in a moment. Okay. If you go to a medical doctor and have symptoms associated with hypothyroidism, they'll run a test. Uh, maybe just probably TSH and they might run a T3, T4 test. They get the results and they look at it. And if your TSH is high or your T3 or T4 is low, they may decide to prescribe for you uh, thyroxin, uh, uh, Levoxyl, Synthroid, those type of products. And what they contain is T4, which its chemical name is tetraiodothyronine, okay, for whatever it's worth. Now, they do that based on the assumption that your thyroid is not capable of producing the hormones on its own. That's a misnomer. Even this book says that the kelp have been using, excuse me, the Chinese have been using kelp for thousands of years to treat thyroid, and they don't think of doing that here. But in terms of glandulars, here's what happens. Well, before we get to glandulars, let's talk about the medicine. The thyroid is a lazy organ. It doesn't work unless it gets a kick in the pants. Yeah. That kick in the pants is called the thyroid stimulating hormone. And that is not secreted by the pituitary unless T4 levels, uh, tetrahydrothyronine, T4 levels are low. So what happens is they give you T4 as a medication. So then there's T4 in your blood. So your thyroid doesn't get a the stimulation. So it quits making T1, T2, T3, T4, and calcitonin like it should. It makes less because there's less thyroid stimulating hormone going out because people are taking T4. It actually starts to shut the thyroid down. As a matter of fact, if you want to kill somebody's thyroid, which they do, by the way, if it's with thyroid cancer, they might remove it, radioactively uh, ablate it with iodine or something. And then they'll give you high doses of T4 or Levoxyl or Synthroid or whatever to stop your thyroid from working. When people come to my office and I tell them that their thyroid medicine sh sh shuts their thyroid down or slows it down, they're shocked. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm saying that to explain the glandular. So what happens if you take the glandular? Well, the glandular does not have any detectable amounts of uh, T4 in it. So it shouldn't work, right? Wrong. The glandular provides all the nutrients that are in a thyroid. Okay, if you, if you go online to the United States uh, Department of Health Nutrient, uh, Department of Agriculture, excuse me, Department of Agriculture Nutrient Database, and you type in cow heart or cow liver or whatever, and you go to the whole list, you're going to see they got all kinds of nutrients in there. Okay, mm -hmm. now the quantity might not seem so high, but those are wet ones. Okay, I said, because when they do it, they're based on raw liver or a raw heart. 
lives are freeze-dried, so the concentration of the nutrients in there is even higher. Mm -hmm. So when you take the glandular, you're getting the nutrients that the thyroid needs. Plus, it's got peptides, as I said, that can help rebuild the thyroid. And there's no, those peptides, they do not put in uh, prescription medicines for thyroids. Uh, armor thyroid is a different issue, or nature thyroid. We can talk about that later if you want. But anyway, it provides the nutrients, and it's got the enzymes to tell the thyroid to rebuild. Mm -hmm. So instead of shutting your thyroid down, taking a glandular, you're telling the thyroid to rebuild. And mm -hmm. so the, the different thyroid glandulars that we have, um, uh, which would be metabolic thyroid, uh, migratrol and simply thyroid. Mm -hmm. uh, some slightly different formulas where people need a little more of this, that, or the other thing. Some people need tyrosine, some people don't, some people need kelp, uh, etc. That's why we have the different ones. Mm -hmm. it, re it rebuilds it so the body can make its hormones. Mm -hmm. The same basic thing goes on with when people bring up hormones, a lot of times they're thinking about female hormones, mm -hmm. okay? Estrogen, uh, progesterone, etc. As it turns out, there's 20-something different forms of estrogen, and uh, I don't know how many forms of progesterone there are, but historically, by the way, women ate glandulars, okay? It was always everybody's diet. Everybody always ate this stuff. So it, probably we had less issues with, uh, let's say, menopausal issues, let's say like hot flashes and stuff, mm -hmm. when, when women were doing that and eating herbs like uh, yucca or yucca. Uh, so you can help your body at certain, at certain stages of your life uh, through glandulars, because uh, I think they, again, they support the body's own natural hormone production. And mm -hmm. we've got different ones, of course, uh, in, in the product line that, we, that we've got. But again, it's, it's not just that. Um, the pancreas makes hormones. Uh, a lot of glands make hormones, and the glandular products basically help support the body in order to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a great explanation. Yeah, I have a client that has been taking your metabolic thyroid and actively testing her thyroid. And that's the only thing I've given her and that she said that that's her she's been testing you thyroid. So that alone made me really think, okay, you know, like I, a lot of our my clients, they tell me the results, but they're not necessarily doing all the clinical uh, right. research with it too. Right. And so that that really was a, a nice highlight for me to be really made me realize like, okay, this is really actually doing something for someone there's the, in terms of their hormones and their thyroid. Oh, yes. Yeah, as a matter of fact, it, in our off, uh, overall, uh, the product, the glandular product that we sell the most is probably metabolic thyro. And I'm of the opinion that 70, 80% of the world's population would uh, benefit from uh, thyroid, nutritional thyroid support. Uh, one of the reasons is a lot of people are addicted to uh, caffeine or nicotine. And this is not an American-based phenomena. You've heard the expression, all the tea in China. Okay, over in China and India, they, they drink a lot of tea. And much parts of the world, they drink coffee. And I found that a lot of times when people have issues with their thyroid, uh, they use caffeine because that's what gets them going, is what they will tend to tell you. And I have found that for many people, they'll do a whole lot better if you support their thyroid nutritionally. And people can, can't believe how much better they feel. If, if, yeah. if, if they need thyroid nutrition and they start to take it, they're like, wow, they're, they're, they're really surprised. And of course, everybody doesn't need it and everybody doesn't need the same product. And we also have vegetarian thyroid, which is another thyroid product that we have. Mm -hmm. But um, in terms of results, people tend to notice that one 
uh, faster than a lot of other products. Yeah, yeah, no, that that's definitely one of the favorites here too. <laughs> so, um, okay, so this is what I, I had no idea I was gonna ask you this until last night, me and my husband were having this conversation and um, you know, one of the big things in, um, in uh, the news nowadays is gender fluidity. So I'm sure you've heard about, you know, all the stuff that's going on with the transgender and people not knowing what bathrooms are going and things like that. Okay. So um, I think personally, uh, being a naturopath, um, there's a lot of toxins in the environment and it's affecting people's hormones. And um, I, I'm very curious what your take is on, on, on this whole subject and how you think maybe things like glandulars or detoxing, uh, you know, I think even like detox and cleanse, like stuff like that can, can kind of like tie together with this whole topic. Okay. That's a, <laughs> a can of words I wasn't expecting. Right? <laughs> I know you didn't know I was going there. I didn't either. Until That's last okay. No, I'll, I'll, I told you before you could ask me anything. So you did. Right. You did. And so right, I, 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 I will do that. <laughs> okay. First, I'm going to step back and say that there's been um, a change in the meat supply. When in the United States specifically, if you go to the store and you buy meat, almost always, uh, well, not always, but frequently, the meat is going to have been treated with female hormones uh, because they do that to help increase the growth. Now, they're going to slow that down, but they, they've been doing this for a long time. The other thing that happens is when you go to the supermarket and you buy a piece of meat, it's probably not male, okay? It's not male. What does that mean? If it was a cow, it's either female or what's called a steer. A steer is a castrated male, okay? So when you're buying meat, the hormonal side of it has been pushed toward the female side of the equation mm. beyond whatever happened in human history. Mm. This is totally different. And the same thing happens uh, when you buy chickens, by the way, chicken, by the way, that's pretty much always female because they essentially uh, destroy, kill uh, all the baby roosters, almost all of them They're at the beginning because the, the feed to meat conversion is not as good on the males. So they get rid of them. So it's basically only fish uh, that might be sort of 50-50 male-female. So I think this is also affecting people's perception of who they are. Uh, historically, according to the American Pediatricians Association, if you let people uh, have a few years, uh, they'll tend to uh, settle down on their uh, gender, I guess. And those who had gender confusion tend to have, almost all of it tends to clear up if you don't give them additional hormones, do surgery to them, and things like that. But I also think that the food supply has negatively impacted this to some degree, as well as toxins, as you alluded to. Yeah. So do you think that, um, you know, do you think that we can use certain products and things like that to help detox or um, to help balance out um, some of the, okay, let's just put it this way. Um, I think that people are really chemically imbalanced. And I think that's part of the reason why people are a little bit confused with their gender and, mm -hmm. and you know, back to the garden. I'm like, why, why is this so confusing? <laughs> I don't know, but we have so much toxins in the environment. So do you think that there's 
um, ways to detox the body so that people are not as confused. And, and not even just gender. There's a lot of things that I think people are just confused about and, and not thinking straight about. Okay, well, the short answer to that is yes. Uh, talking about toxicity, for example, let me just semi-switch the subject. And I'm not totally switching it, but I think autism, much of the time, is due to some type of toxin. Right. And it's not necessarily just toxins in vaccines, by the way. Um, I'm not saying that's not part of it, but that I think toxins in general cause all kinds of issues. Now, as far as detoxification goes, there's a couple of different things. One, uh, for, for males, for example, if they were to eat less uh, female-dominated meat, I think they would do better that way. Uh, I also think taking a product like Simply Orchic uh, might also be helpful along those lines. Uh, as far as females, products like Simply Ovary, Simply Uterus uh, could be helpful. As far as detoxification, uh, we've, got, uh, we've got three different detoxification products, one of which you don't know about yet because we're just sent it out. We're going to send out a flyer announcing a new product today. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, anyway, we have Detox and Cleanse, uh, which helps with uh, heavy metals. We have uh, liver, liver, liver Detox and Support, which helps with the liver and to, to cleanse the body. But we also have a new one out. It's called Biofilm uh, Detox. And mm -hmm. that's also got to do with kind of on the infection side. And I will also comment in terms of detoxification. There's a lot more allergies now than there were in the past. And that's another thing people have to detoxify for. For what it's worth, when I did my PhD in nutrition science, allergies were uh, my specialty. So yeah, there's a lot of toxins. There's a lot of things going on. And do I think people would be healthier uh, with less toxins? Yes. As a matter of fact, a study came out within the last month or so uh, that basically said if you eat organic, uh, you've got a, a reduced risk of uh, cancer, developing cancer. It was not a huge reduction. I think it was 20, 25% reduction. But again, that's because there are toxins in non-organic foods that are not in organic foods. Mm. So it's not just, is it possibly affecting uh, the, the transgenderism, uh, autism, but also even on the cancer side. And as I mentioned before, the more we know, the more we know we don't know. Uh, mm -hmm. There are many things that are going on that are caused by environmental changes and changes in the food supply that we don't truly understand. Mm. And, uh, but we, 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 I shouldn't say we because I'm not part of the government, but the government and its experts frequently like to say, oh, we know all this stuff. And, and the reality is they, they really don't. And if they're willing to look past their own biases, I've seen, for example, in the health field, the same type of biases I've seen in theology. If people are raised with certain traditions, you can give them facts and facts and facts. They don't care because it's not their tradition. It doesn't feel right to them because it's not their tradition. Mm -hmm. Well, I mentioned to you books used to, to teach the mainstream, okay? And these people have a certain mindset and a certain tradition. Right. And so even when you try to explain what you would think is common sense, they don't get it. Mm. And they don't, they don't want to see it. Yeah. But overall, yes, I think uh, we have less pollution, less toxic chemicals. Our food's more organic. Uh, they don't use hormones. And I think on the meat supply, if we had more of a 50-50 male-female split, uh, I think all those kind of things would be, would be helpful. 
Um, I'm not optimistic that it's going to happen uh, until uh, till the second coming, <laughs> until after the second coming. But other than that, um, people can take their own steps. And one of the steps that we were alluding to, for example, is if you're going to take nutritional supplements, why take chemicals? Right. Why take chemicals that are foreign to the body? Okay. Most of the chemicals in a normal, so-called natural multiple vitamin are not natural to the human body. They're just not. Mm -hmm. Some of them are very similar, but most of them are analogs or they're not, even, they're not the same chemical, particularly the minerals. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there's one thing you can do to detoxify is not to put toxins in your body on purpose. Mm -hmm. um, so that, I mean, that would be one of, the, one of the steps I would recommend. Try not to breathe uh, too deeply cleaning products and be careful about the cleaning products that you've got, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, definitely. So um, I have to ask you this. Where do you think is a good source to get meat then if someone's living in the U.S.? This will sound bizarre. Uh, Costco. Oh. I'm not a, I'm not, this is going to sound strange. I'm not a Costco person, and I just said it, and said, then why did I say that? Um, every now and then we'll get a membership over there. We'll go over there because they sell the most inexpensive organic meat you can get in bulk. I mean, so uh, so that, that, that's a place. Uh, also, you can get grass-fed uh, meat in, in certain stores. Uh, you can get uh, lamb from New Zealand as well. But in terms of the gender balance, um, that, uh, on that, you, I would say go for fish. Because that would be the the best way to to do it. Because fish, fish are pretty much even that way. So, okay, for, okay. So you said for gender balance, fish. But what about if someone's going to eat um, other meats? It, what you what are more male dominated meat? There aren't any. Because the chicken's always going to be female. The cow's either going to be steer or a cow. The beef's going to be that. Uh, the uh, uh, I don't eat pork, but they, they castrate pigs too. I think uh, I, I'm so I'm, I'm not sure that there is any real difference. I, now you could technically buy capon for chicken. They cost more, but that's a castrated rooster. <laughs> okay, so I'm sorry I don't have a great simple answer for that other than <laughs> raise your own, and most people can't do that. Yeah. So, well, I'm just wondering, like, what what should a man eat? You know, for if, if their men are being feminized by eating all these man, uh, female chickens and things like that. Well, again, a man could eat uh, uh, simply orchid or something to go along with that. Oh, Males over age 40, for example, have a tendency to start having their prostate swell. Mm. We we sell a product called Prostapower. Mm -hmm. I, most guys over 40 ought to take it. Uh, does a lot of things which we're not going to go to on the air now, but one of the things it does do is it has helped restore some of the balance on the male side. Okay. Okay. So if a man does eat meat, then, or just in general, a man should probably be taking something like that as they get older. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, I definitely have so many questions for you, but I uh, want to respect your time. So why don't you tell the listeners about where they can find you? You can find information about uh, uh, our, our products at uh, uh, www.doctorsresearch.com. And also would suggest if you go there, we have two animations. I don't know if you've seen our animations or not. 
but we've got two short animations, one about six or seven minutes, the other about five minutes, explain the difference between natural and synthetic vitamins and why, why they're better. And some of our papers are published at, at these websites too. So you can read the scientific boring papers that I've written and see all the scientific references and all those kind of stuff. So you understand why food nutrients are vastly superior to the synthetic stuff that most people take. So that'd be doctorsresearch.com. Okay, great. Yeah. And um, I, I love seeing those pictures too of the, what looks like on the microscope, what's synthetic and what's not. And then um, I believe on your website, if not, I always give my, my clients those little forms that you send us um, of how to figure out what is a food-based nutrient or not. What's well, a food nutrient, not a food-based. Oh, sorry. Based. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to have to myself. A food nutrient. Jeez. Yeah, I know. So uh, yeah, food nutrient or not. So Definitely educate yourself, you guys, because this is not something to take seriously. Your health matters, and um, what you put in your body is affecting everything, our health, our, our wealth, even our wealth. I feel like if we don't take this stuff seriously now, it's going to, uh, you know, who knows where this society is going to go. <laughs> so anyway, thank you so much, Dr. Teal, for your time and for all your wealth and knowledge and uh, coming on the show today. Thank you, Dr. Jacqueline. Okay, have a nice day. You too. Bye-bye. And if any of you are interested in learning more about having a consultation with me to discover what is at the root of your health and fitness challenges so you can live the best life that you can live and fulfill your callings and purpose in life, please visit thewellnesstrinity.com to learn more about our in-office and distant consultations. <music>